0: I think for humans to be more flexible is certainly going to probably bring more emotional health and, and maybe even prosperity into your life. Unleashed at Work and Home with Colleen Pilar. My guest today is Sherry
1: Yuschak, who is an amazing person and very multi talented. She's a veterinary behavior tech and on the faculty of the Karen Pryor Academy where she teaches people, dog trainers, how to be better dog trainers, which is an awfully interesting job. So can you tell us a little bit about what you do and how you found
0: yourself into these two not exactly the same areas? Yeah, so I've been a registered veterinary technician for over 20 years now. And I worked in primarily small animal practice, general practice. And I just sort of, I, I went to a lecture one day that said, you know, more dogs will die in this country from behavior problems than will die from parvo, heartworm cancer, and all of that. And I was also having some challenges with my own dogs. And so that got me on the pathway of uh, studying behavior and animals and wanting to do better for the animals, both that I have at home, but also then in the practice. And so that sort of grew into this big passion. And wanting to help other people better understand their pets um, so that we can all live together better. Yeah. Um, and that, with, with that end goal is keeping that human animal bond strong. So that started me down the pathway and um, building more experience, uh, understanding more, studying more until I was ready to apply for my veterinary technician specialty in animal behavior. Um, also along the way, I started because I took my own dog to classes. I started apprenticing with a dog trainer and started teaching on my own. And I just wanted to keep progressing with helping people better understand their pets. And so while these two areas are quite different in the veterinary profession and pets in a veterinary practice setting, it's all about the person. We we can't help the animal if we can't help. The person. Mm-hmm. Um, so they come as a unit together. And so that's that's been my passion all along in, a, in various different arenas, but it all comes back to people and their pets. Absolutely.
1: And it is scary, isn't it that more animals will die because of behavior issues than any of the medical things that, that
0: we have to face? Absolutely. And just coming out of uh, I went to that lecture shortly after coming out of tech school, And of course, you know, all the priority in veterinary school and in veterinary technician school is on the medical aspect um, and anatomy and physiology and disease processes and pharmaceuticals and whatnot uh, and preventive care. But we're not really educated. It's starting to shift a little bit, but we're still not educated on animal behavior. So I was working so hard at achieving the criteria that was set before me in the veterinary technician program. And I I feel I did that pretty well. And here I go to this veterinary conference and realize (laughs) I don't really even know the most important thing that there is to know. Um, And so that was like, oh my gosh, I need to do this. I need to work harder to do this on my own. Um, And my dogs that I had at the time sort of pushed me down this pathway as well because I needed to get some answers for us. Mm -hmm. um, trying to live together. And so that lecture was a pivotal moment. And then dealing with my own problems, uh, at home with my pets was the other part that pushed me down this pathway.
1: Yeah. It is amazing how much our
0: own dogs teach
1: us and push us to learn more because we want so much to help with problems. We don't always know how to address. I think most dog trainers have a challenging dog or two in their past that, yeah, was part of the impetus of why they went down this road Well, the, the behavior trait that I particularly wanted to talk to you about was flexibility. And I think that we've already started covering some of that, like just your idea of you initially were on a path. And then you saw there were other things that you wanted to learn and really were interested in exploring you were showing some flexibility of your own right there um, so in terms of flexibility in dogs how how do you see that behavior appear and do you think it well, let's just start with that we'll just start with how do you see it and then I'll follow up questions after that
0: well what there, again there was another moment that kind of had me really thinking about you know um, animals possessing flexibility mm-hmm. or even thinking about it flexibility in animals i had been teaching puppy class uh, at the veterinary hospital for several years and of course the whole practice we really emphasize the importance of taking your puppy to puppy class if you go through these classes your puppy is going to be better prepared you're going to have less behavior problems and that puppy is going to be better able to live in a human world that we have set for them um And then I ended up adopting my first greyhound who was, you know, an animal who grew up in a racing environment, never knew what inside of a home was, didn't understand stairs, didn't understand other dog breeds. Mm -hmm. Um, Just so many things that we take for granted that they've never, a TV, a television set, um, a mirror, and they have no idea about any of this, and yet I brought this animal home and he was able to adapt and function and flourish very quickly. And then I'm sitting back saying, here I've been prioritizing puppy class for so long. Am I, am I wrong in this thinking? I mean, I see the science of it. And so that just really had me kind of recognize that there's um, some traits that maybe certain animals were born with. Um, And then somehow they're still getting the development of the basic building blocks for being flexible. Mm -hmm. Somehow his previous experience, because not all greyhounds are the same. So still I saw in him um, some remarkable flexibility that somehow he was able to gain through his genetics and previous life.
1: Yeah, the whole nature-nurture conundrum where it's not really either-or there are both pieces at play there, but it is amazing when we think about how the racing greyhounds are raised that they can ever
0: adapt to living in a regular household. Correct. Cause I would, we saw some uh, dogs that came into the clinic from a puppy mill situation are very uh, physically and emotionally impoverished upbringing in puppyhood, And these dogs were never the same. They mm-hmm. just, um, they, they were not coping well, yes. and they were shut down, or they were aggressive, and they had a lifelong of um, uh, problems in front of them just trying to deal with the world, and so these dogs were not demonstrating flexibility and resilience. So there's definitely must, might be some breed differences, because all the greyhounds are raised similarly in the mm-hmm. racing industry, um, but yet they make it through and most of them go on to be functional pets Mm -hmm. um but for those dogs in a puppy mill situation i think there might be some greater variances on how well yes they they adapt um so maybe they're going through more trauma uh than like a racing greyhound is i'm not sure i'm not sure i mean there's definitely got to be some genetics in there um yeah, it's
1: a real interesting question and and one that it's very hard to study. And even if you could study it, then you get into the ethical questions of should.
0: Correct. Should,
1: you know, like, do if we know this kind of impoverished environment is occurring, do we really want to raise a litter of puppies to see how bad that will turn out?
0: Um, no. <laughs> Are they... You know, they have done, done so in mice and rat models. There is research out there about um, fetuses exposed to their mother's stress hormones mm-hmm. all throughout pregnancy, and they found that it takes about three generations forward for those animals to develop normal neurofeedback yeah. and being able to respond to an environment in a not hypersensitive manner. Um, So we do have some of those in in other models uh, about impoverished environments and uh, emotional and physical stress in utero. So we do know that there's some things that happen before we're even born Mm -hmm. or before our pets are born that uh, we may not have had any control over, but it brings them to who they are today.
1: Right. And that's that's an interesting part with the animals is we do tend to treat them like a blank slate. Like, well, if you just raise them right, everything will be fine. But there's all sorts of stuff at play. With humans, the statistics seem to be 50% of your happiness quotient, and when I'm speaking specifically about happiness as opposed to flexibility in this moment, is genetically determined. 10% is determined by your environmental circumstances. So where you live mm. and how much you earn and all that. And then 40% is based on your choices and your actions. And so if we were to look at this in terms of of dogs, there's some of that too. You know, so mm-hmm. genetically how how wired are you for being more brittle or um, more adaptable. And then the other thing of when you had a slightly different or uncomfortable experience, what happened then? And how well did you cope with that situation? Because coping skills and flexibility are, are learned over time. Yes. And success breeds success with some of that.
0: Yes. And it's, and I, I, it's tricky. I so wish it was taught more. I, I wish that as part of our primary education in this country, that mm-hmm. those are some of the skills that we learned. Um, of course, it's important to understand math and, and English um, and be proficient at, at that and science and everything. Um, but coping styles, like mm-hmm. you said, learning an effective coping me- mechanism, because otherwise we're just going from our family experience primarily right. um, or what we happen to see around us. And that's kind of a crapshoot for mm-hmm. all of us, right? Yeah. Um and, and really you can't take it on as an adult on gaining more skills for yourself if you become aware that you're deficient. Um you have to wait till adulthood to kind of take that on. You're not going to see a seven year old researching right. coping styles. Yes. So bit. they're just enduring it until then. Uh but that there's there's a amount of suffering that can go along there.
1: Absolutely. If, Absolutely. I was talking to a woman this week who was talking about, um, just the stresses of her work life and all of that. And one of the things she's particularly working on is being more patient and having a a gentler tone of voice with her children. She said, because her mother wasn't gentle or patient with her, and she was often afraid to approach her mother with Mm -hmm. situations. And she said, I don't want my boys who are young, they're like three and six, um, to feel that way about me, I don't want that to be their experience, and yet that is their experience right now. So I'm having to really think about my behavior because it is likely for me to just sort of snap at them or you know fly off sure. the handle because she she didn't have anything else modeled for her, and she
0: now as an adult is trying to come up with some new strategies. I hear that you know from parents who say. I don't want to repeat what my parents did and, Mm. and not, not because everything was bad, but hopefully as a human, you see an experience or you feel an experience and you say, okay, I'd like to do that a little better when it comes my turn to, to take that role. And so I think a lot of parents want to do better, but they may state it out loud. I don't want to do this or that, but unless they reach out or find a way to get Mm -hmm. the tools, they are likely to just mimic what they've experienced And it takes a certain level of um, flexibility um, to assess, to self-assess and recognize that you're not doing it as well um, as you would like to be. Um, And you have to sort of make yourself vulnerable, I think, Mm -hmm. in in that self-assessment and then to make the steps towards a change to say, I want. To do better, I want to learn more. I don't want to just repeat my same pattern right. of life. Um, and and so that's fascinating to me too. Is the people who have gone through adversity and instead of just staying down in that hole or living a reactionary mm-hmm. life based on that negativity, they actually choose to to do better and to find another way. And right. it can sometimes be challenging to find another way too. Even if you make yourself vulnerable and even if you self-assess, how do you know how to find that way? Mm-hmm. And, w- and what ways are worth exploring or trying. So right. when you,
1: when you think about flexibility as a trait, what do you think um, the, how do you see it play out in a animal hospital?
0: So I see, th- I would say, you know, to see an animal that I would describe as demonstrating flexibility, they may perceive some adversity. Um, They may smell a pheromone of of fear. Um, They may hear a sound that is unfamiliar and causes them to feel some fear. Um, They may be touched in a way that causes them some discomfort or fear. But instead of them continuing to escalate to a point of um, a strong reaction, whether that's shutting down or whether that's acting out uh, aggressively, they're they're able to, I think, sort of change their environment. Maybe they do it socially in the way that they interact with the staff. Like instead of a growl, if they were able to – change and do a tail wag would Mm -hmm. that change how we interact with them so in some ways i I wonder if them being more flexible is being flexible enough to try something different when they're in a situation that's causing them discomfort and if they try it and we soften our approach to them because oh they just wagged or oh they just licked our chin Mm -hmm. they tried it we changed our approach and they um Got a different reaction that maybe is more positive because maybe we stopped and engaged with them instead of right. continuing the exam. But they were flexible in their behavior to, to, to try um, and change their own environment to something that would maybe more suit their emotional state or help their negative emotional state from progressing.
1: Yeah, that's a great example.
0: So, on the human
1: side of it, what do you see as the benefits of flexibility for us? I
0: think for humans to be more flexible is certainly going to probably bring more emotional health and and maybe even prosperity into your life. Um, if you keep doing the same thing that you've always been doing, you're going to keep getting the same results. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. So at some point, you have to. Do something different. You have to demonstrate some flexibility and maybe the slightest little baby step, um, like that dog trying a tail wag instead of a growl. Um, he just tried it. He wasn't even sure he was feeling it, but he tried it because it's in his repertoire. And, and, you know, so same with the person. If they smile instead of snapping back and they get a slightly different response, they took one more step into a slightly different direction and being a little more flexible in their life. A little more flexible with their behavior, a little more flexible in their response, maybe even a little more flexible in their thinking. Which is a
1: whole challenge in and of itself, isn't it?
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, we uh, whether we're taught different uh, realities based on your upbringing, on what you're supposed to do in certain situations, what you're supposed to believe because you were brought up in this sort of household Um and so to be brave and to to try and open your mind a little bit open your mind to be slightly more flexible can bring you to different realities that otherwise you're not going to see.
1: Mhm. And and that will bring like you said greater emotional health and that's something that we're really all working toward these days that when you read, you know, 70% of American employees are not engaged at work is just a terrifying number. And some of that is that we're starting to shut down the creative thinking and we need some flexibility and some adaptability and thinking about things in a different way.
0: Right. If we're only supposed to stay in a certain very narrow construct at work or in our family life, um, then things are going to get really mundane and boring um, and maybe even frustrating. Mm-hmm. And you may not know why but you may be feeling those emotions. And so having some flexibility and not having those limits placed on you so strongly at your work or something, I think certainly is going to be healthier because humans' survival, the survival of a species depends on some flexibility. Yeah,
1: we are wired to adapt. It is interesting, especially when you look at just extinction rates, the the species that are still alive are such a tiny, tiny, tiny percentage of all the species that have ever lived. And that, that adaptability and ability to, to say this is what's happening and how can I change both physiologically and also psychologically, emotionally, and behaviorally is it's definitely a human gift. Well, a canine gift too.
0: Or other species. Uh, the species on this planet that are going to survive climate change are the ones that can be more flexible in their diet mm-hmm. or be more flexible in their uh, temperature regulation. Mm-hmm. Um or their locomotion or be more flexible because now there's a greater number of that same species packed in a small space. And so they have to be flexible in their behavior, uh, to get some cooperation and not just constantly be fighting. Yeah. Um, uh, because that's going to take up too much of their time or be dangerous. And then they won't, if they're not flexible, they're not going to survive. Um, or they certainly won't thrive.
1: So from, again, from the human standpoint of it in an animal hospital, what would be some of the challenges for an employee who wanted to be more flexible? What would be some of the downsides of trying it or the pushback for, for trying it?
0: Well, I think that, um, we, we talk about flexibility, but then there's also a part of human nature and animal nature that, A lot of the time we conserve mental energy by just relying on uh, autopilot, Mm -hmm. if you will. And if you learn a skill really well, a mechanical skill, you can do it without even thinking. And I don't remember the statistics, but I remember reading an article about what percentage of our day we actually just run on autopilot. Mm -hmm. Like, have you ever driven all the way home and realized, like, how did I get here? I don't remember the stop sign. I don't remember what color cars I passed. So I think there is some energy conservation uh, with our brains and our bodies. It's not as fatiguing if we do what we've been doing. So if you come into the veterinary clinic tomorrow and say, all right, I'm going to be more flexible and I'm going to try this and I'm going to try that and we're going to do it this way and we're not going to do it that way anymore. I think that that um, if you're doing that without a single goal in mind and you don't have that goal identified and you don't have a way to assess if you're making progress on that goal and you just say, I'm going to be open and I'm going to try new things, it can be very scattered and i think you might not get the result that you're looking for and it could be really frustrating for your coworkers too because that's going to bring some extra confusion into the day mm-hmm. um and it's going to kind of jar everybody's autopilot um and and so i think you have to be flexible but also be flexible with a goal in mind
1: yeah i think that's a uh, great tip the the part about having a really specific goal that you're creating the flexibility around, it definitely focuses your energy and decreases your frustration and that of the people around you.
0: Right. And like you mentioned, that woman that you were talking to, where she wanted to not snap back mm-hmm. at her kids, she wanted to be open, more open to conversation. And this would be a reality in a veterinary practice as mm-hmm. well. I don't want to snap so much at my co workers, I want to be open to what they have to say. But if that's just your idea to go in the workplace tomorrow and be more open, what does that look like? What are you going to say instead of snapping back? Like you have to prepare yourself to have some success. So you have to identify what it would look like. You have to create steps along this pathway. So you're going to have to really invest some time um, and thought into Mm -hmm. how to do this instead of just make a proclamation. Right. And I'm sure that's something that you were exploring with this Yes, this woman. we
1: were exploring strategies and ways she yeah. could measure it and and ways she could could have a slip up without, you know, totally derailing herself, but also really recognize when she was making progress because it's hard. It's hard. And and so much of it is carrying work home with you and just all the day to day stresses of that. So from from the idea of okay, I, I'd like to interact with my coworkers on a more friendly, approachable basis. And yet, in the middle of a stressful day, I have a tendency to snap at them. Mm-hmm. Um, would, would you say it would be a helpful strategy or less helpful to do blanket, a big announcement? Guess what? I'm working on this. Or to target a few specific people and say, I'm really working on this and I'd, I'd like some guidance and feedback on how I'm doing and, and ideas you might have for helping me with this.
0: You know, that's a great question. It may depend on the person who's trying to be more flexible and what's comfortable for them Mm -hmm. uh, as far as receiving feedback or even letting other people know their vulnerability and that they're working on their vulnerability. uh, They're they're working on self-improving. For some, it may make them feel a little more too vulnerable to uh, just announce it. But I think that if you do have somebody that you – feel safe, uh, communicating with safe in that they're not going to ridicule you. They're going to be supportive of your change and that you appreciate, um, how they communicate. If you have someone like that, then I would say that would probably be helpful to let them know what you're doing Mm -hmm. so that they can help you work towards your goals, um, in a, in a positive manner, in a constructive manner. Um, so those Once some, again, it sort of depends.
1: <gasps> yeah, that's the answer for everything in all of life, isn't it? <laughs> I
0: mean, yes. Well, like,
1: it depends. We're always looking for the concrete answer, and the answer is always, it depends. <laughs> yep. So that that's a really good tip about, about how to move forward with that. Do you have any other suggestions for if somebody really wanted to just have a little more flexibility in their life? Something to try, like any, just an across the board, not specifically with the, I'm trying not to snap at my coworkers thing.
0: Yeah, I think really, um, like we already said is coming up with some strategies on what you're going to do differently, coming up with a goal and setting really small, simple goals. Like if I can identify one situation today where I didn't snap at somebody where I normally would have celebrate that as a huge success. Mm hmm recognize that, like you mentioned, at times of stress, you're going to revert back to what you have learned how to do the most. And that is the pattern, the negative, let's define it as negative that you're trying to change. And that's okay. It's going to happen, expect that it's going to happen and be okay with that. Instead of just throwing it all out the window and saying I can't do this, I can never do this. Yeah. So identifying small improvements and really celebrating those and don't get too hung up on the failures, but continue to self-assess and say, well, I wonder why I snapped during this situation. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's because I didn't get lunch yet. I was hungry. Not to make excuses, but to identify ways that if you see a trend, uh, it always happens right before lunch. It always happens if we add on a surgery. It always happens at... 530 when that emergency call comes in. Mm -hmm. Um, So trying to identify some trends that you can then find new strategies to help you with these trouble spots.
1: Yeah, Um, I think that's a really important one, because it's really tempting when you have some backsliding to beat yourself up about it, but not really explore why did that happen. And the why did that happen is the part that that gives you the opportunity for creating those strategies. So it was the end of the day. I didn't eat lunch. I was so tired, all those things. Okay, so what could I do next time when this happens? Because it's going to happen again.
0: Right. Especially if you don't address it. And it may not be tomorrow and it may be a week from now and it's going to creep up and you're like, why did I explode? I was doing so well. Well, there, you know, there's there's things that play into that. So probably some level of documentation, whether you write it down, whether you have an app on your phone um, that you're using to track your progress. Whether every night at the end of the day you sit down and take ten minutes that you have set aside to sort of look to see where you've been and what you've done, Um, I think there's going to need some level of tracking or recording. If if speaking is easier, some people may just want to record it. Um, But if we want to change behavior, we have to track behavior, Mm -hmm. whether it's a dog or a polar bear or a human being. We have to if we really want to make a change. We have to track it.
1: Right. The things we measure.
0: It's always that. Yes. So
1: I forgot to ask you at the beginning about the pets in your household. How many pets do you have? What do you have?
0: I have two greyhounds. um, Both are retired racers. Uh, Desi is a male. He's 12 and a half. Um, And then I have Gemma, who's a female, and she is seven. And then I also have a mule. Um, she's a female or a <laughs> molly mule. Uh, mules aren't called mares. The females are called mollies. So she's a molly mule and she is seven. And, um, my greyhounds are my, what I would label as my easy pets. Mm-hmm. Um, currently, and my mule is my challenging animal <laughs> right now, so she takes a lot of my time budget, my emotional budget, <laughs> uh, my behavior um, budget, my um, thought processes, and is really stretching me in different ways. So, how so? I would say she's not as flexible um, in or resilient, and she's sensitive and more emotional. Um, The good news, bad news is she is very expressive with her emotions, something that I haven't seen as much in horses. Mm -hmm. And she's immediately expressive. So if there's something that happens that she's uncomfortable about, you're going to immediately see it. (laughs) So that's good, right? That that is good. You at least know. (laughs) At least know. But then you have to address it. right? Mm -hmm. I feel uh, a necessity to address it because that's my training style. So that could be... Definitely challenging um, to, to try and keep training in a realm where she is comfortable and happy and not overfaced.
1: Well, normally, I ask this question about dogs, but I totally want to ask it about your mule. <laughs> so oh yeah, if she could talk, how oh, would she
0: describe you? I think she appreciates the fact. Uh, most days I think she appreciates the fact that I'm calm and patient with her um and creative because I continuously try to think of ways to improve her quality of life and improve our communication um I think, though, at times, because she's never learned clicker training mm-hmm. uh, and probably never really had, I'm imagining, a voice in um, demonstrating a choice mm-hmm. in life, I think that that sometimes cause causes her to um, feel different emotions that maybe she hasn't felt before or mm-hmm. be able to express them in ways that she hasn't. And so maybe there's a part that's almost uncomfortable with this learning style for her Mm -hmm. just because she's more free to explore and demonstrate. And in the past, I think she wasn't allowed to do that. Yeah. So how long have you had her? I have had her just a little over a year.
1: Yeah. So Um, she had reached it. I mean, I don't know much about mules, but I'm assuming six is an adult mule.
0: Yes. So
1: she had reached adulthood without having the kind of life she
0: currently has. That would be a big change. It's a big change. And, um, because there wasn't much expected of her either. And I definitely do have different expectations because I I want to keep a dialogue with her. I I want her to learn things so that when she experiences them, she has some tools in her toolbox and how to deal with challenges. And before I think she just, she just didn't know what was going to happen and maybe just showed up. Okay. Here's this trail ride. Here's what you're going to see. Go for it. Whereas we actually work on things that haven't yet happened. Um, So again, it's learning something that's so different. I think that certainly can be fatiguing. Oh, yeah. Uh, Learning is learning is hard. Learning is hard. And um, so while I think she does enjoy it, I definitely have to um, be aware that it can be fatiguing for her. I, I try to keep it positive, but you're walking that fine line of growth without stress. Yeah. And trying to minimize the stress on the learner. Balancing
1: her skill level with the level of challenge and that that perpetual dance of too much, too little, too. It's
0: (laughs) it's a daily dance. It's a Mm -hmm. daily dance. Maybe I didn't get the mule I wanted. Maybe I'm getting the mule I needed Um, Mm -hmm. because my traditional experience with horses was more punishment and coercion based. How I started, same as how I started out in dog training. Right, And now, you know, I've changed in dog training for many, many years now. And now I'm coming back to equines and have a whole different um, perspective Mm -hmm. on living and training with them. And so now I'm applying this theory that I've been practicing in dogs and cats um, to this species. But my learning history, that's the other thing, too, is I'm overcoming my learning history, Mm -hmm. which was based in punishment. Yeah. so there's certainly some challenge.
1: It's hard to do, isn't it? Because I started in traditional training as well. And it took me a couple of years before I had completely come up with new brain patterns for all the things that pop up. Because sometimes I would just go back to what I'd been taught. And yes. it wasn't always what I wanted to be doing, which is exactly what we've been talking about through this entire session. is You need to kind of note those areas where you might not might not have the first
0: right idea. And the the other challenge, too, is the equine training environment still is way behind dog training in that you're surrounded more by um, the punishment and coercion methods. Mm-hmm. And so that's what's surrounding you. And if that's what's been in your learning history, and now you're trying to make a conscious choice to be more flexible uh, in yourself and use what you know is true, you still, as a human being, there's times when you still have self-doubt, mm-hmm. even though you know rationally this is the best thing to do and scientifically this is the best thing to do. Your human nature, yeah. um, you, you run into challenges when you're trying to change. And it can be the same thing for a person in a veterinary environment like that we talked about. If they go to work in a veterinary environment that is very negative and everybody's snapping at everybody, and you're the one that's trying to make the change when nothing else around you is changing. It can be another challenge that you can experience is the loneliness that could creep in there of just being on this small island of trying to do change within yourself. And the challenges that you may face if your environment is not conducive to that change doesn't mean you can't do it. Lots of people do it. Um, they rise out of adversity uh, and we seem to celebrate when they've risen out of it, but we don't always talk about that long path in between. Right. All the uncomfortableness, all the doubt, mm-hmm. all the trial and error and documenting and resetting goals and being flexible with your plan of improvement Yeah. Uh, and being flexible when you backslide. Well, this has been an awesome
1: conversation about flexibility
0: I think we've covered a lot of different areas. We just keep kind of hopping around. I know, but but I think
1: it all relates to flexibility and, and, you know, really looking at our own lives and the lives of the people and animals around us and trying to make them better, which is always the goal here. Um, But I think there's been a lot of really, really interesting points here. So I appreciate you coming on and talking to me about this. Subscribe to Unleashed and please visit www.conleypeeler.com forward slash iTunes to leave a review. Reviews help veterinarians,
0: vet techs, and other animal care professionals looking for a little more joy in their life find us. Together, we can help each other thrive.